Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of With Joy, a self-improvement podcast with crazy experiences of amazing people across the world. Today I'm talking to Chris Gordon from Southern Minnesota. Now Chris is a survivor of necrotizing fasciitis, which is flesh-eating bacteria. But despite the significant effects it had on him, he has come out of it with amazing perspectives. After this incident, he set four all-time running personal records, earned his high red belt in Taekwondo with his son Josh, and secured his autism spectrum disorder license. Let's go on in and learn more about him. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Joy. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty great as well. It's good to hear that you're doing well, especially with the given situations of COVID-19. Now, before we begin, can you tell our audience a bit about yourself? Certainly. Well, I live with my wife, Becky, and our three kids in New Ulm, Minnesota. We are both teachers. She teaches at a high school here in New Ulm, and I teach online. I teach uh, middle school special education. And as you probably see, I am also a big geek. I like my Muppets and my superheroes. I am a runner and I enjoy running events ranging from a 5K to a half marathon. I'm training law in long-term methods over a long term of time to train for a marathon, the Boston Marathon. But that's more of a goal I want to do, not necessarily a distance I like to run. I prefer uh, the shorter long, long distance races. I am also a student of Taekwondo. My son and I are both training for our recommended black belts in Taekwondo. And probably the most uh, interesting thing about me is that I am a survivor of necrotizing fasciitis, which is also known as flesh-eating bacteria. Right. That is amazing, Chris. And, you know, I haven't met many people (laughs) with this condition. So before you had this condition uh, versus after, how was the transition between those two states for you? Well, in March 2015, I uh, one Wednesday, I was helping my wife get our kids into our van so she could take them to school and daycare, respectively. And I was flying my younger son into the garage, and we are going by way of the sidewalk. I was flying him back and forth, and I went too far to the right and scratched my right hand on my garage wall. I bandaged it up and I thought that, okay, I'll, you know, that took care of it. I'll let it heal. Well, three days later, I woke up and I had this huge bump, like a, the size of a lacrosse ball on my right elbow. Oh gosh. And I went into the walk-in clinic and the doctor there said that, you know, just keep an eye on it. It might be bursitis. You know, just let us know if anything develops. Well, about 12 hours later, that bump had basically uh, expanded throughout my right arm, my shoulder, my chest, and my back. And to use a a superhero analogy, I look like the Incredible Hulk in mid-transformation. And so they immediately, uh, well, I I was taken back into the uh, hospital to the emergency room. My wife drove me there and they quickly admitted me. They tried to get a blood pressure reading on me, but I had gone septic, which meant that my body was now sending chemicals into my bloodstream to kill the infection but it's almost like an overreaction because it's also a poison that could 
potentially kill you. It also disrupts your uh, blood pressure. So they couldn't get a, a proper blood pressure reading on me. They decided to keep me overnight. And in the morning, the attending doctor said that there was nothing else they could do for me. This was beyond them. And where could they send me? Wow. And so I told them to send me to the, to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, which was about two hours away. Mm -hmm. And not only because it's the Mayo Clinic, it's world renowned, but also because my in-laws live in Rochester, I knew that my family would have some place to stay for the, I'm sure, two, three days that this would take. Because <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they could figure it out, right? And get right. me back, uh, back, you know, in time for the weekend. Uh, so they flew me on a hard light plane to Rochester and quickly admitted me and diagnosed me with necrotizing fasciitis also known as flesh-eating bacteria right. or flesh-eating disease. So they started prepping me for surgery. One of the uh, ways they prepped me was to give me a painkiller called ketamine. Uh, not only is ketamine a very effective painkiller, it also gives you hallucinations. Jeez. And uh, so it was uh, quite interesting waking up from my, uh, my coma, but I believe I'm getting a little ahead of myself. <laughs> um, at the right before I went under for my first surgery, the doctor was asking me questions, telling me basically the situation. I believe most patients usually have this sense of dreads. You know, they're they're very very fearful. They're usually crying. I was very gung ho, as <laughs> as gung ho as you could be as a guy in a wheelchair with his head listing back and forth. Um, I was like, let's go for it, let's do this, and the doctor was a little unsettled by that. Apparently the surgeon was <laughs> right. So, um, but that's the last thing I remember before my induced coma. My God. And so I was in a coma for about five days, my Sunday to Thursday, brought out a coma. I woke up and I had this huge airplane splint on my arm, like a cast on my right arm. Oh my. And my left leg had a huge, um, uh, casing around it because one of the things they did was not only did they basically fillet me, they took the skin from <laughs> all the way from the back of my right hand right. all the way to my the middle of my chest and my back. They took it right off Gosh. because that's what was infected. But the infection had gone so far into my right hand that in the second surgery, I had many surgeries that week. Um, during the second surgery, they were certain they would have to take my right arm uh, but the uh, occupational therapist saw that I had hand function still. And so she convinced them to keep the arm and they took a flap of skin from my left thigh. And the uh, flap of skin was from my thigh and they put it on my hand. I call it my thand. <laughs> and okay. I'm looking at copywriting that. I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> um, right. But since uh, they had to take such a large uh, flap of skin from my left thigh, and I am a runner, mm -hmm. they could not close the wound naturally. So they had to take one of my muscles out of my quadricep, out of, um, out of my leg. And and basically, I turned my quad into a try. Um, oh they had God. to take the uh, the vastus lateralis out of my uh, left uh, my, my left leg, and so basically, I, I mean, if you're familiar, oh, I, I guess I should also say, in place of the skin they removed, they also had to take uh, skin graft sections. They harvested skin grafts from my body using a souped-up cheese grater. 
Well, at least that's what it looked like to me. Oh my god! Um, and they they ra- they raked that across my skin wow. and placed the skin grafts onto the sections of infection. And they what they first did was they placed a material called Integra over the exposed areas, and then they put the skin grafts. And so, if you're familiar with Deadpool when he takes off his mask and his costume. Right. That's what I look like. I look like a discount Deadpool. Oh my god! <laughs> but crap. it's it's great for uh, cosplay, though. I have to say, uh, <laughs> I can do cosplay optimism. at the drop of a shirt. Yeah, that's optimism right there. My gosh! Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, like, throughout this process, do you recall it? Like, I mean, obviously it would hurt, but do you recall severe pain, or was it like all right for you? The ketamine did a really good job of taking care of the pain. Yeah, for the first few weeks, I really didn't have that much pain. It's when they started decreasing my dosage, and then they introduced a, a morphine drip where the pain became more more consistent. And then I was also taking oxycodone and oxytocin to deal with the pain as well. So there, yeah, there was a large amount of pain, but for a lot of time, I wasn't feeling it. Goodness gracious! So you know whole. The whole time, how did everyone react around you? Were they like, "Oh no, Chris," or like, how were they like? Well, the first week, as I'm told, was pretty horrific for my family. <laughs> you know, my wife had three little kids at the time. They were six-year-old. My I had a six-year-old son and two-year-old twins. So wow. she had to take care of them by herself. First two weeks, they spent in Rochester, away from home. But thankfully. First of all, she's a warrior. My wife is fantastic. Now she is she, you know, brilliant and wonderful, but she's also tough as nails. Um, <laughs> but she, uh, my brother flew in from Michigan while I was in a coma. But we also had a fantastic extended family. Church family stepped up. My colleagues from my school. Some of them lived in Rochester and would drive by and play with the kids, gave the kids toys, made dinner for my family. And uh, there was even a GoFundMe account that was set up to help wow. with lost wages because I, I had run out of sick days. This was, uh, I had missed the entire fourth quarter of school. Wow. Uh, my online school. And so the GoFundMe account really helped with uh, recouping some of those losses. So. It was a monumental effort for everyone to step up and help us out. And without that, I don't even want to think about what we would have to deal with. Yeah, it's amazing how you have such a you know supportive family, and not just family, you know, like a community built around helping you throughout this. I think that's so nice to have, you know. Throughout this whole thing at the hospital, was there any experiences that made you change your perspective, or any interesting experiences in general that you had there? Well, ketamine is uh, not only a great painkiller, but it's also a uh, hallucinogen, and I had some pretty crazy uh, hallucinations. Um, <laughs> You know, right. I could I could take the whole podcast just talking about those. Um, like at one point, I thought I was hearing the Macarena in the ICU <laughs> room. Oh my god! I thought they had left the left the window open and bugs were flying in. Mind you, this is an ICU room at the Mayo Clinic, and it's March. Oh my and god! I thought I was seeing bugs. Um, <laughs> at one point, I looked up and I thought I saw a scene from the movie Mulan. Okay. That was really weird. I've only seen that movie once. I don't know why was that was that really hit me so hard. Yeah. Um, and then at one point, I was holding hands with my wife and I blinked, and the room flipped upside down. 
Oh my gosh. And she had to convince me that it was not in fact upside down, that I was just really, really high. So basically the whole time your family is freaking out about you and you're just having like an acid trip. <laughs> yeah, the first few few weeks it was, I had a, sometimes a hard time discerning what was real and what oh was uh, drug induced. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I right. felt a deep sense of gratitude. Um, because when I when I kept hearing about how people were stepping up for us and what they were all doing for us, I immediately thought that if I were to develop a pessimistic, you know, attitude about this, if I became depressed or right. negative about this in any way, I would be just basically slapping the face of every person who stepped <laughs> up for us. Yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah. And and so I uh, immediately started developing a deep sense of gratitude, not only for what I had, but also for the opportunities I would be given. I mean, there were days where I was in pain and, you know, I remember a couple times I cried, but it wasn't out of desperation a little bit of frustration but never right. woe is me right that's good to hear yeah i can imagine it is probably super tough especially on you but you know actually having that type of attitude of coming out of it positively rather than negatively i think that's such a good way to face it you know especially with the things that other people did for you yeah you know, yeah, like you said, like bringing people making meals and just keep an eye on the house. I have nothing but immense love and gratitude for everyone who stepped up for us. Yeah, like I said, I was kind of surprised to hear that too, because I think all of us don't really expect such huge support unless if we're there in person, right? So after all this, how was your recovery like? It was slow going as you would expect. It took me a few weeks to get up on my feet. The first time I took a walk, it was from my hospital room to the nurse's station, which was directly across the hallway, oh. <laughs> not very far. <laughs> and right. uh, the, the week before I went to the hospital, I had run a pie day race. And for those <laughs> who are not mathematicians, uh, that's on March 14th, and it is, in fact, 3.14 miles. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I ran that in 19 uh, minutes, 29 seconds. It was, you know, a pretty good, pretty good uh, clip. Right. And to go from running low six-minute miles to almost exhausting myself to walk 10, 12 feet, it, you know, it was humbling. But at the same time, I had to start somewhere. Right. And so I would just take those you basically baby steps, you know, mm -hmm. take those little walks and just and just expand upon them as well as I could and under obviously uh, medical professional supervision. And then when I was able to get the cast removed, I was then able to start doing like shoulder and arm exercises because I my muscles had atrophied greatly. Mm. And so I needed to rebuild them. And so I would just every, you know, every, every time, every chance I had to expand my physical repertoire, you know, to, to work on another skill or another muscle group, I would take it. Just have to, you know, remind myself that in order to get back to where I was before I was in the hospital, it was going to take some time. Oh, absolutely. But I think uh, just keeping that positivity in mind really helped me pace myself 
you know, not to feel too rushed and depressed if I wasn't uh, reaching a goal in a certain amount of time. Yeah, definitely. So with all the experiences you accumulated and everything in mind, what do you think is one main motivational message you would want to tell our audience based on how it transformed your life? Think of all the good things in your life and not just the big things, not just your faith or your family or your job, but look at all the little things in your life. Think mm -hmm. about how your feet feel when they're when you have your favorite shoes on. Think about how it feels to finish a workout and appreciate the sweat on your face. Think about how your favorite TV show makes you laugh. Just appreciate every small thing that you have because when you take a minute or five and think about how many good little things you have you have in your life they add up your life is not perfect but no one's is and if you right. really sit back and, and think wow i have a i have a lot of little things to be thankful for those add up yeah that's a great point when you felt this like for example when you were in the hospital and you felt this while recovering were there any mindset changes in the short term that you felt like maybe in the hospital you felt specific small things made you happier or anything like that yeah i started working on appreciating those small things like for example uh the hospital had surprisingly good pizza um <laughs> right i didn't uh and maybe it was because I hadn't had pizza in a long time, but man, <laughs> it, it was like deep dish. It was oh my really gosh. good. Yeah, I mean, it, it actually took me a couple of times to actually finish one. I wow. ordered one, I took two bites, and my, my stomach wasn't ready for it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I felt like someone had just put a brick on my midsection. I was like, oh. Oh my gosh. It was so good though. Um, but you know, you know, uh, being able to look at things at a different point of view, uh, I realized that since my, from my right arm to the middle of my chest mm -hmm. is basically skin grafts. Skin grafts are non-porous, which mm -hmm. means they don't sweat. Mm -hmm. So I realized, wow, I'm going to save a lot of money on deodorant. <laughs> oh my God. Because yeah, obviously I'm not going to need anything for my right side. And <laughs> And so right. it's, you know, and it's a little uh, lot left of center to think of that, but it is something to <laughs> keep in mind. Like, wow, that's kind of cool. I don't need as much deodorant. Yeah. And, you know, and I can make, uh, make a stick last for four months, you know? Yeah, 50% you know, off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do use it my left, my left side, just so you know. Um, <laughs> but right. it's, I, I think that we always are comparing ourselves to others that's always going to leave you with a net loss because someone's always going to have more than you right but if you look at just what you have yourself you know there are so many things that we are blessed with you know no matter our situation that we just take for granted exactly mm -hmm. i mean it's not easy for anyone to have the situation that you had but let's just say someone was in a very similar situation perhaps some sort of medical condition or even not medical maybe mental health or something like that what do you think you would advise them i, I would definitely advise them to seek support that those older generations i think some of them really fortified this attitude of doing it on your own you know doing things by yourself but no one is an island 
There, there is no such thing as a self-made person. If you need help, if you know that you need assistance, seek it out. People are willing to help you. Think by realizing that there is strength in numbers. While we are all unique, there's someone out there, at least one other person has had a situation similar to yours that can give you some insight as to how to find yourself to the other side. Yeah, actually, I love the point that you made about, you know, no one is self-made. You're right, because no one is. <laughs> yeah. With all that you've gone through and everything that has happened thus far, are you currently working on anything or is there anything that you want to provide to the audience or anything you want to specifically talk about there? Certainly, uh, Joy, thanks for asking. I am uh, seeking avenues to speak professionally about my experience and how the attitude of gratitude has not only benefited my life, but how it can also positively benefit others and they can pass along those benefits to people they know. And so I'm looking to uh, speak to schools and uh, other institutions and other groups that would benefit from my message. I have my podcast, Scar Bearers, where I uh, talk about my own experiences and speak with others who have uh, physical and or emotional scars that they're dealing with. I'm also uh, looking to help others through coaching. And so there are a few different things that I'm doing to uh, use this experience to not only further benefit myself because I'm always growing, even though I've gone through this experience, there is more things I can learn, but I also want to help others so they can develop the attitude of gratitude without spending two months in the hospital. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, fantastic, Chris. It's really great that given all the crazy things you've gone through, you are still so grounded, so humble, yet so open to helping the community and you know the world needs more people like you to always keep other people up and lift everyone's spirits so with that being said how can our audience reach out to you specifically to my website which is chrisdtgordon.com that's g-o-r-d-o-n uh, they can visit me on facebook and youtube at chrisdtgordon i'm on instagram at at Chris D.T. Gordon, and there's also my my podcast called Scar Bearers. You can find the, uh, that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify. I think all the major podcasting sites has it. If you were to, you know, visually, uh, I use the uh, Star Wars type font. So instead of saying Star Wars, it says Scar Bearers. <laughs> and it has my, my name in the middle there. I love that. Perfect. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. It really means so much to so many people out there, whether they're going through same things or maybe different things. Everyone has those moments where they feel like they're presented the challenge and to have someone reach out and share their story is always so important to hear. So thank you so much and have a good day. Thanks, Joy. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity and you have a good day yourself. With all that was said, remember that you're never alone in the journey. There will always be someone who has gone through similar situations who can understand you while being your support system. Next week, we'll have Tamisha Sales who has received over $2 million in grants while working within the nonprofit sector. Follow us at withjoy underscore podcast on Instagram and withjoypodcast on Facebook. All episodes are released every Wednesday and our YouTube segments are released every Friday. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you all next week.